Hi, hello, watch fans, and welcome to episode three of the Real Time Show with me, your friendly neighborhood watchmaker, Rob Nuds, and my co host, Alan Ben Joseph, calling in from Amsterdam. Today, we pick up on part two of our GPHG predictions, and we are going to start right at the top of the show discussing the mechanical exception category. Alan, how are you doing, and what the heck do you think of these watches? Wow, Rob, I'm so happy to speak to you. What an exciting times, the launch of our new podcast series. How good was that episode with Jean-Claude? Eh? That was amazing. That was a <laughs> party. It was an audio party. I was sitting there with a big smile behind my mic. It was fantastic. I hope our listeners enjoyed it as much as we did. Wow, that promises a lot for the future episodes. And I'm excited to dive in to continuing our predictions for the GPHD 2022. It's coming in two days, right? The vote is on November 10th. So we're just sneaking in inside, just in time. Correct. And I had so much fun recording the first episode. Oh my gosh. I can't believe that you have the lead on me, but it's so much fun doing it. And I hope our listeners are enjoying it and that they're playing it behind the scenes while listening with us. And maybe we inspired watch collectors to play this game amongst themselves. Maybe our fellow Red Bar crew members did. If so, let us know, guys. How did you go with playing this game? Yeah, very cool. I hope that people get involved because it is a lot of fun, like mining through these watches and discussing the differences between them and identifying sometimes surprisingly where you share similarities with your fellow collectors and where, in fact, you have your differences of opinion. But now we are into pretty choppy waters, to be honest, because the mechanical exception category is tough one to chop up. There's a lot going on and decisions could go either way. So last time round, I guessed your pick in the calendar and astronomy category. So it's your turn to guess mine to kick things off in today's show. Okay, Rob, this is an amazing category. Amazing six watches. And the title says it all, exception. So anything can happen. We have the Armin Strong. We have a Beauvais 1822, a Bulgari, a Chopard, a Ferdinand Bertou, and Ulysse Nauda. I want to say, by the way, kudos to the Schoeffler family behind Chopard, because Ferdinand Bertou is a passion project. So it's amazing that they have two watches in this category nominated. So kudos to them. Um, Rob, I found this super difficult. I narrowed it down to either the Bulgari Octofinissimo Ultra 10th anniversary, which they broke another world record. Unfortunately for our friends at Bulgari, they didn't hold the record too long as Richard Mill took it from them. And my second pick for you was the Ulysses Freak. S. But I think you picked the Bulgari. Ha! Huh. Well, I hate to do this to you. You came very close, but you ultimately didn't even mention my choice in your top two. The Bulgari was my silver medal winner, and it threatened to take the gold, but it can't overpower the majesty of Ferdinand Berteau and the brilliant decision they make routinely to hide a lot of their most, shall we say, extravagant movement work, such as a tourbillon, on the backside. Now, that backside with the constant force mechanism, with the tourbillon, with the multi-level bridges is 
pure watchmaking, heaven, artistry, a delicate touch, executed to perfection, in my opinion. And I mean, it's cool as hell. It looks like an artifact and yet somehow hypermodern at the same time. So I am all in on the Ferdinand Bateau. And um, yeah, nothing. The Bulgari was the closest, but everything else was a way away. I'd say the Freak probably would have got third place. But the other three, I mean, it's a toss up for me. I have no feeling for any of them. What do you think of that? Surprised? I'm not surprised at all because they very much deserve it. I, I, I mentioned them in my intro. They very much deserve it. They do deserve an exception award for Mechanical Marvel. But I didn't expect you to vote for them in this year's edition because their competition is fierce this year with a lot of an innovation and exception. Yeah, it's wild. It is wild. But before I rebuttal and response, what do you think I have? Yeah, that's a good question. I really had the same two in mind that you had for me. And I would struggle to walk back from the Bulgari because I know how much of a fan you are of the brand. But I think because you're pretty good at picking the right watch within the right category. I'm actually going to say that you picked the Yuli Snadan Freak. You you know me rather well, buddy. But you did not score. Oh, no. <laughs> I've been thinking a lot about this category in these watches. And if Bulgari wouldn't have broken a world record, the Freak S has, would have definitely one for me. I utterly love all Freak watches. I love what they've done from day one. And this modern iteration with two balance wheels looks like a spaceship. It's amazing. Although I'm not a fan of two-tone in whatever combination of two-tone, the classic steel and gold and whatever black and gold, etc. I would have kept it monotone case-wise, to push all the attention to this marvelous central spinning spaceship. But come on, Bulgari deserves it this year. Do I think the QR code needs to be up there? (laughs) No. It's gimmicky. Fine. I understood why they did it. They want to take a, a position in the NFT Web3 race that's going on in the luxury industry. But come on, it's amazing what they've done there. The innovation, the, 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 they're pushing boundaries for a decade now. It's crazy. How many world records have they broken? And it seems they're not losing their role. They keep on steamrolling. So that's why they deserve it. Ferdinand Beltou, amazing. Although I must admit, I am pushing myself to love it. Technically, amazing. But just on the design side of things, I think they're trying too hard. This bar between the lugs, I love the fact that the DAO has hand engraving on it Yeah, to make it personal because they make very small quantities. But they're using too many fonts. The font of the hour disk is different. The seconds is different. The minutes seems different. So there's too much going on. And I think that takes away from what the watch is about. Because if you're elegant enough to hide the spectacular complications in your movement, 
I would have toned it down even more. Going on, we didn't talk about Armin Strom. They deserve a lot of kudos, I think. They entered this section with the Mirrored Force Resonance First Edition. I love Resonance watches. Ever since I'm a kid, the F.P. June Resonance is high on my grill list. And I feel Armin Strom is paying tribute to F.P. June, who brought back the whole resonance in watchmaking. And it's a modern interpretation. And this piece, the Mirrored Force Resonance First Edition, is amazing. Um, and it's definitely an exceptional watch. But the competition was fierce. I'm very curious, Rob, what do you think of the Beauvais 1822, which is in the brand name, and the name of the model is the Recital 20 Asterium? You know, when I was a kid, I had a Lego playset from uh, a series based under the water, under the ocean. There was this cool set of yellow and black submersibles that you could buy with these blue translucent screens on the front of them and all of the lego figures had like diving apparatus and blue face shields and they were really cool and they were my favorite ones to play with and i was obsessed with them when i was a little boy and the first time i encountered bove 1822 it was one of their ladies models that had one of these floating translucent blue dials on it and all i could think of was that lego playset and it took me back to being a kid in a very positive manner i must say Sometimes when I make Lego references when it comes to high-end luxury watchmaking, as I do more frequently than you might imagine, people think that I'm deriding it or saying that it's kitsch or kiddish or somehow lowbrow. I'm not saying that at all. What I'm saying is I have an emotional reaction to it that is positive. It makes me think of my childhood. There are occasions when the luminous green fluid in certain HYT models does the same thing, recalling Another Lego playset I had when I was even younger, Magnetron, I think it was a series in the early 90s, and all of the machines used magnets. And it was some of my happiest memories as a kid, playing with this stuff. And so when I look at these watches and they instantly bring those memories back to the forefront of my mind, I smile. And so as ridiculous a thing as it is, I actually love the Beauvais 1822 for exactly that reason. But I also maintain that I don't quite get what Bove is doing. I'm not sure for whom they make watches. I would guess they probably have a big market in Russia. I'm sure that market is not doing as well as it usually would right now. But they just strike me as one of those slightly over-the-top brands that doesn't know how to get out of its own way on occasion. And this is a good watch. The NAF Asterium engraving on the bezel could do with going because that's just a waste of time. It looks like somebody got hold of the crayons and had a draw on the wall, in my opinion. So, no, I would uh, bin that off and just hold my breath if I was Bove because I don't really know how the company can survive much longer if this is uh, if this is as appealing a watch as they can make. I totally understand you. Regarding the emotional connection as a kid, I understood it from day one. I think that is the biggest success of all these retro and vintage-inspired watches. And, and that's what you see also in the sneaker industry and why it's booming. It's all about these positive associations with past memories. Regarding Beauvais, I love these guys. They make amazing stuff, mechanical, but also in art sections. And I'm thinking of enameling. But I'm with you 100%. Why 
Are they all over the place design-wise? The cases, there's so much going on. The movement is so spectacular. Why does this watch needs to be two-tone? I'm with you 100%. Why did they engrave so little asterium on the bezel below the tourbillon? It takes away the attention of this full-floating tourbillon that doesn't even have anything underneath. So it's literally transparent and floating there. I think they can get rid of all these cabochon polished sapphire set crowns which I think is one of their design USPs, but I think it's passe. And uh, I don't even know what that is at the 12 o'clock position touching the watch strap. But okay, let's leave it at that. And I vote for inviting Rafi to the show and we can have a nice philosophical discussion. Last one in this category is an amazing timepiece, the Chopin. The LUC full strike to wheel. I utterly love acoustic watches what about you Rob? yeah i do like them in theory i like the mechanical aspect of it of course there was a Ulysses nadan music box style watch that i wanted years ago that i was fascinated by for a short period of time but to be quite frank it's not really what i look for in my watches i have a humbler aspiration i want nice well-designed dials good finishing interesting levels uh, for display and a watch that I can wear in most situations without feeling like it's out of place or too ostentatious for that crowd. And I think that any kind of charming watch often falls into that category, unfortunately. Should we move on to the next category, the chronographs? Well, actually, I want to make an executive decision here. I want to push the chronograph category to the last category because I believe it is firstly almost my favorite category because I'm a huge fan of chronographs, the chronograph complication in general, but this is one humdinger of a lineup. There are six watches, all of which really have a chance of winning. So I would love to make that the last one we discussed today because otherwise we'll round out on our favorite clock. And I think that's a bit of a low point and the chronographs is certainly a high point. So let's delay on that one for now, if you don't mind, and move straight on to the divers watches. All right, let's do it. So we've got six pieces for our consideration here. And I have to say straight off the bat, this is a dull selection of watches. I am seriously disappointed with the lineup for this. I am gobsmacked that this is the best watchmaking has to offer in the dive watch category since the most recent GPHG awards. This is, um, yeah, very disappointing. That's my gut reaction to the lineup. What, what do you think, Yolan? Mm, don't totally agree with you. I'm not uh, jumping for joy. Um, but uh, there is a clear winner and a clear runner-up and a clear third position. So your turn to guess mine. Oh, there's a clear winner, is there? Well, um... Yes, hands down, easy one. I've picked within two seconds. I don't know. I think there's three that could realistically take it, but I think the best watch is the Grand Seiko, and I think that it would be crazy to say anything else other than that, was a clear winner, unless you're trying to wax that the Tudor Pelagos FXD is uh, is the champ. Oh, are you? Because you do like Tudor. Oh, God. Oh, God. Oh, you know what? I think you're probably going to do that, aren't you? I think you're going to say the Tudor Pelagos is the easy winner, and that's my final answer. 
Ding, 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 ding. Another goal for Rob. Oh, wow. Well, you're, you're bonkers. But all right, go on. Justify yourself. Okay. So you already gave away which one you've picked. Great pick. Good for you. Very cool. But for me, a diver's watch needs to be this. A tool watch. And a dive watch needs to be less is more and clear to read underwater in the dark. And that's it. It's a functional watch. It has nothing to do with aesthetics. It's form follows function. How amazing is the birth of the Pelagos FXD? The FXD stands for fixed, fixed lugs, no metal bracelet, titanium. And you know what? Nowadays, diver watches also carry a lot of pedigree and history with them. And looking at all these six watches, besides that, the Doxa is a very cool watch and historically also very relevant. The Pelagos has the most pedigree if we look at iconicness and history and relevance. Because snowflake hands, blue, they've used blue in dive watches. Titanium, very relevant as a tool watch. Light, strong. So for me, this was a no-brainer because all the other five watches have too much going on. Yes, the Grand Psycho was up there. I think the Tag Heuer is cool. Um, the Panerai-esque crown guard coming over it is a bit much. As a duchy, I do love orange. Um, fun, but a bit too much. I love Doxa. I love this re-edition. If I'm not mistaken, correct me if I'm wrong. This was originally designed in the 70s for the U.S. Army, right, Rob? And this issue was launched only in the U.S.? Right. Grand Psycho, spot on. Yeah, well, the power reserve is actually very relevant for a diver. So cool, but Grand Psycho is not my to-go brand for dive watches. Grand Psycho for me is less is more, beautifully finished. Um, too much Submariner-ish, but cool, not my winner. The RT is fun, but a diver doesn't need all these colors. Yeah, so is, is the idea, though, that those colors disappear as you get lower down? Each color's got a depth rating next to it, so the green is on 50 meters, yellow on 30, orange on 15, and red, I don't know where that is, on 5. My eyes aren't good enough for that, I'm afraid. But isn't the idea that those colors will disappear systematically as you get to those depths? I believe so. I think I've read that. I have to admit, I am not a scuba diver, so I've never used mechanical watches lower than two, three meters in the sea or a swimming pool. Um, if it works, amazing. I don't know. I have to admit my ignorance here. I do like the odd shape of the bezel of the Artia. Yeah, fair enough. I mean, it's so not Artia. That's what surprises me about this. And the, the logo at 12 is about as clunkily applied logo as I've ever seen. That could do with just being gone, as could the date, just... Go with the symmetry. Stick with the idea that mm -hmm. you have about these disappearing lines of color. Just run with that. Other, I mean, it's a pretty good watch, therefore. I mean, there was like a an old school Mido that I think they also released with a similar kind of color track on the dial that's very popular among collectors. And I could see this having the same kind mm -hmm. of niche mm -hmm. appeal if they just cleaned it up a little bit. I might have a word with Ivan because he's very open to these kind of suggestions. And dive watches are not normally his thing. So, yeah, let's see if we can brush that one up a little bit because I think there's quite a bit of potential there.
Definitely. And it's amazing that he did it. He made it. Commercially, super fun watch. But I believe that in a award ceremony, a competition, if we look at a category of dive watch, it needs to be the best dive watch out there. And those divers that I know that use a mechanical watch as backup for their diving computer, they want the most basic watch out there. And I, aesthetically, as a collector, love that as well. So the last one I've tried to ignore as long as possible <laughs> is the writing Super Ocean. Oh, you hate this so much. Let the people know. Oh my God. Oh my God. I love Breitling. I love the old Super Oceans. I love the Super Ocean heritage that they've been making longer than Uh a decade. But I'm sorry, guys in Grenchen. What the hell (laughs) is this? Why bronze? Why bronze with ceramic? This ugly green. Why this fake snowflake hand? Way too big. Why? 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 Amazing. I don't know why. Why did it even make this category? I'm sorry. I love you guys. I love Fred. I know he had something to do with Sylvain Benero is one of the most amazing watch designers in the industry working today. I have a gut feeling he did not have the final say on this watch. But okay, uh, Rob, your analysis on the rest, please. And let's move on quickly. You haven't guessed what I've gone for. You think you know what I went for, but I was basing, I was basing my initial assessment on your statement that there was a clear winner. So, you know, you can have a guess. Oh, I thought that was your pick. No, it actually actually wasn't. So I've given you a little bit of an inside route, but oh. I, I didn't pick the oh, Grand Seiko. Oh. I just thought if you were being so bullish about there being an obvious choice, I thought, well, it is clearly the best watch amongst these, but maybe not the best diver. And it certainly wasn't my favorite. And I've interacted with all of these watches in person. And there is one that I came away with a lot of good feeling for. So have a go. Have a guess. Oh, okay. Okay, okay, all right, sorry. Then you've picked number one, Doxa, Army Limited Edition. Two, Tudor Pelagos FXD, because you're making fun of me, but I know you're a big fan of Tudor <laughs> as well. And number three was, I guess, Grand Cycle for Archia. And I know you don't like the Tagore. And right. if you like the Breitling, I'm going to end our friendship here and now. Okay, so you're al- almost perfect. Ding, 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 ding. That's a goal for you. I did pick the Doxa. So it's 4-2 on the score sheet. Now, Doxa 1, GS2, Tudor and Artia tied 3-4, then Breitling, then Tagore. I hate that, Grace. I just think it's so naff. It looks like something... Some, 1996 reject is how i describe it like just get over it forget it it's you know what it reminds me of it's like a rubbish version of the aqua timer from iwc that's what i always feel when i see the aqua racer i'm like don't give me this knockoff give me the real thing and the aqua timer by iwc is in my opinion a seriously underrated dive watch but that's a story for another day back to this category okay the brightling i get where you're coming from it's a bit gross but i don't hate it as much as you do i love how much you hate it that was my favorite reaction so far, by the way, like from either of us. I just think it's wonderful because you were ranting about this watch off air before we even got started. Like you picked out of all 15 categories, six in each category. That's 90 watches. You picked out this one and just went absolutely ballistic about it existing. I love it. Amazing. The Artia, like I say, it's a good work in progress, in my opinion. Needs a little bit of help. The Tudor, hate the fixed spring bars or not spring bars, what the 
the bar lugs. I hate it. I mean, I get it on paper. I believe I designed a watch like this about 10 years ago when I was a watchmaker. And I thought, oh, people will love this. Easy strap changes. Look at every brand that has tried to make that a cornerstone of their watch design. It's great for one model and then people get tired of it and people are like, yeah, no, give me regular lugs. And you love regular lugs, so I don't know what you're playing at picking this nonsense. The regular Pelagos is possibly one of the top 10 watches in the whole of the watchmaking industry. The LHD is my personal favorite, but you can go for the regular black. You can go for the regular Smurf, whatever. You cannot go wrong with that watch. It is an absolute stunner and it'll see you right for years and years to come. But this flash in the pan, little bit of a gimmick. No, thank you. Move on. Grand Seiko Superb Watch, Spring Drive Caliber. What can you say? It's a stunner. Yes, okay, the power reserve sometimes seems unnecessary on automatic watches, but I do appreciate it on a dive watch as at least a failure indicator. So I'll give that one a pass, but it doesn't win. For me, the Doxa Army wins. I briefly had a Synchron version of this in my collection, but it felt like a charlatan, so traded it with somebody for something else. The Doxa one is 10 times better because the case is actually ceramic rather than PVD coated steel and it feels amazing. And the bezel action is stunning. The click on this thing is decisive, it's precise, the backlash is minimal, the contrast on the dial is superb, the character of this thing is next level. Do I need the date? I could do without the date, to be honest. I'd just rather have a symmetrical set of indices, but it's useful for some people. And the little tiny white flanks on the hour markers and the white markers on the bezel do at least tie in that black on white date wheel a little better than it could have done. So there you go. Yeah, Docs is my, um, my choice. And for the first, is it the first time, other than the time we both picked the singer, that we both got each other's picks right? I think that's a, a moment for celebration. It is. It is. It definitely is. Shall we move on to the next category, which is jewelry? Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. Okay, Rob. So we have in this category, which is a bit similar to the ladies complication and the regular ladies category, because this one is not specified to a gender, but... I kind of feel all six minus the Tagore are very feminine. So we have the Bulgari Serpenti, the Chopar Animal World, Jacob & Co. with their Astronomia, Metaversal, NFT Venus, Gosh. Mouthful, Piaget, <laughs> Piaget, Extravagant Touch Watch. Sounds a bit kinky. <laughs> it looks a bit kinky as well now you mentioned it. You could have a nice time with that little bugger. Oh, look at that. I think it's a foreplay watch. Yeah. Sorry, Piaget, we don't mean it wrongly. It's a fluffer. It's not a ticker, it's a fluffer. You know that a fluffer is a different profession, right? I think that any fluffer worth their salt, or Hollywood's number one fluffer, should definitely wear the Piaget Extravagant Touch watch, because that is a tool of that trade. <laughs> it's just covered in feathers. It's filthy. I'm continuing. It's a filthy little watch, Piaget. Naughty, naughty Piaget. <laughs> I'm continuing. Love it, actually. I, I might even I might even change my pick now. <laughs> I'm going to call your girlfriend. <laughs> call her and tell her what? That I'm about to buy her a new watch. <laughs> so give her a heads up. What's, a, what's waiting for her tonight? Oh, my God. 465,000 francs, Alon. It's 465,000 francs. Worth every penny. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it comes with matching earrings. Okay. Anyway, carry on. Included in the price? Oh, hang on a second. I think that the feathers detach, and maybe the feathers can be worn as earrings. 
Oh, this is crazy. Or used for, or used otherwise. Uh, okay, we need to. Okay, we're eliminating this model from selection. It's been disqualified. Carry on. Tag Hoya Carrera Plasma Diamond de Avantgarde. Last one, Van Cleef and Arpel. Pearl de Glass Rose Watch. Okay, so Rob, I believe it's my turn, isn't it? Is it? Oh, I have to guess for you, you mean? Or do you have to guess for me? I'm so bad at this. No, no, it's my turn to guess for you. Okay, okay. It's my go. Oh, your go. Okay, okay. Good luck. Lovely bunch of watches. The title is jewelry. It's not linked to a gender. Jewelry means gemstones. All six have gemstones. I think you've went for the Jacob & Co. Astronomia Metaverso NFT Venus, but I silently hope you went for the Bulgari Serpenti Mysteriosi High Jewelry. If somebody turned up at my house with an unmarked package, and within said unmarked package, there was a Jacob & Co. Astronomia Metaverso NFT Venus, I would hope they'd also had the good sense to include a handgun and a single silver <laughs> bullet. So I could just end it right there and then. Um, your hopes have been rewarded. I obviously chose the Bulgari because the Serpenti is an icon above icons, something that should be lauded from dawn till dusk. It is one of the watch industry's most fascinating creations, probably the best, in my opinion, fusion of jewelry and horology. And I have even implored Antoine Pin of Bulgari to commission a full titanium Bulgari Serpenti for men, an angular finissimo style Serpenti that wraps around a wrist a couple of times and contains a mechanical movement within the jaws of this glittering snake. I adore the watch. I think it's absolutely top notch horology. I love it to pieces. It was an easy win for me. Low hanging fruit. So I'm sorry you didn't pick it. I really thought you were going to pick it, but uh, that is that is my choice. That is my choice. No, 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 no. I'm getting this point. Because I said, I hope you've picked it, so... You're taking a, you're taking a point, are you? I, yeah, I'm taking a point. I deserve one. That's a VAR review, if ever I saw one, considering you like made a completely different guess, and now you're just awarding yourself a point. No, I'm awarding, because I, I told you I hoped you would pick to this one. I, I, I was just testing the words. Okay, I'm not really sure that your hopes, your, like, your hopes really count okay. in the rules of the game, but whatever, you can have a point. Okay. That's fine. Okay. But you know what? Let's decide. Let's decide if I get this point after you've picked mine. Let's see. If you get a point, I get one as well. Which one did I pick? I, I'm going to go for the Serpenti. Easy one, right? But that's not fair. <laughs> it's the best I mean, one, though, because it's so good. It is. It's, it's better yeah, it than is. the other things for a really good reason, because it is like nothing else. Okay, there are some good watches in this lineup. The Jacob & Co. is an abomination. Let's forget about that. The Chopard, however, it's a really cool watch. Like The gem setting on that is really next level the piaget as much as we laughed about its um slightly sexual vibes is really beautiful and also really well made the tag Heuer, um low-key cool in an odd kind of way i could see somebody that maybe had a chanel j12 in their collection finding this a really appealing model to add it's kind of edgy i actually kind of like it and i don't like tag Heuer generally but that's cool van cleef again i mean what can you say it's a beautiful studded cuff Really well done. But the Bulgari, the Serpenti, it stands on a mountain entirely alone. It is the best jewelry watch out there. 
I am totally with you 100% and I said that it's not fair because I've said in many interviews and the most recent one was the female version of GMT watch done by Sophie Furley. She asked industry leaders if they were a lady, what watch would they wear? I didn't need to think twice. I chose immediately a Mystery Serpentine watch. This new version, the Mysteriosi, deserves even more kudos because they created a caliber just for this watch. It's a new caliber. They're competing with Jijala Culture. Small, in-house, amazing how it's built, how you wind it. But if we look at the name of the category, it says just jewelry. Of these watches, the Serpenti is a jewel who by coincidence has a watch hidden inside. Van Cleef and Arpels comes close. It's a cuff, as you said. It's a bracelet, but very obvious, a watch. Same goes for Piaget. The Tag Heuer is not a jewel. They deserve points for pushing the boundaries and taking avant-garde, very literal, by using lab-grown diamonds in a watch. Is it beautiful? No. Is the feminine watch very black? So it's maybe ladies who love a lot of black. But it's not a female watch, although this category is not for ladies. But I don't call this a jeweled watch or a jewel. But again, they deserve a lot of kudos for pushing the boundaries on plasma. You know, I have to say, the more I look at that Takoya, the better it gets. I just had a look at some of the 3D shots of it from the side. And that is pretty damn cool. That is very, very neat. And the price is... Okay, crazily prohibitive. I think it's 350,000 Swiss francs, but that's not really the point. What they've tried to achieve here is very laudable. And like you say, it doesn't say women's jewelry. It just says jewelry. And it's, um, yeah, very, very much deserving of a strong nod. And I think having looked at these six, I'd put it in third place because that Piaget, the more you look at that, the better that becomes. So that would be my second place. And the Tag Heuer would take a surprise in third. Interesting. And, and, and again, I've seen it in the flesh, held it in the flesh, and I'm not a fan of lab-grown diamonds. But Tagore has proven why plasma or lab-grown or high-pressure diamonds exist. Did you know the crown is made of diamond as well? I did not. What, solid diamond and then solid yeah. lab-grown diamond and then shaped yeah. into a crown? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. So again... Amazing. And, and I, I even think it's cool how they scattered around the diamonds in, I believe, an aluminum case um, or titanium, but I think it was aluminum, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, you're right. But yeah, amazing. But okay, Rob, um, I think we are uh, about to move on. Yeah, let's do that. We uh, hung around on jewelry longer than perhaps we thought we would, but what an interesting category it turned out to be and some real revelations there. So uh, you can give yourself a point for the Serpenti, but it ends up as a push anyway because I got yours. So it's 5-3. 5-3 um, as it is moving into artistic crafts. Thank you. You're a gentleman, Rob. Uh, well, it's all for the love of the game, isn't it? Fair play. Okay, right. So uh, we have... Some interesting ones from Audemars Piguet, Beauvais, 1822, Hermes, Hublot, Van Cleef and Apples, and Vutelainen. And I'm guessing for you. I just have to go with uh, the Vutelainen because it's such a stunner. I'd be amazed if you tried to convince me you'd picked anything other than that. Although this category wasn't a no-brainer, I, 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 I had to pause, but very shortly, but you got a point immediately. Ding, ding, ding. The G, the G coup. 
amazing. Although on paper, you're like, what the hell? Why should they win, right? <laughs> but I think we need to pause one moment. If we look at artistic crafts, it's a very wide definition because designing a caliber is an artistic craft. Just polishing, engalage of a part of a watch moon is an artistic craft. Polishing of a watch case is an artistic craft. Making watch straps is an artistic craft. But the Adama Piquet with the code 1159, the Grand Sonnerie, Carillon, Super Sonnerie is definitely an artistic watch. But I don't feel they should be in this category. They should have been in, 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 in exceptional watches or mechanical, etc. Now, for me, this category is all about art, artistic, giving an artistic twist to watches. So, although I'm not a fan of Hublot, I do love Takashi Murakami. Yeah. But not the last decade. He doesn't innovate anymore. I feel it's been done over, over, and again. And they've done many watches with him. It's fun. I love the fun aspect of it. I love pop art, but I dismiss it very quickly. I love enameling. So the Hermes caught my eye. I wish they didn't use diamonds there. There was no need to use diamonds on the bezel. Absolutely agreed. Absolutely 100% agreed. No need. No need. Going back to the number one pick, and I'm quite confident you picked that one as well. It's a one-off. Wutelenen is amazing. He, he deserves for every piece that he makes, an artistic crafts prize every year at the GPHG. But he teamed up with the amazing Japanese artist. Um, I, I don't even remember how many hours they spent on that dial with the lacquer technique. And I believe they lacquered and then used a mosaic technique to make the inlays of the inner dial of this world timer uh platinum case so i think we're both suckers for platinum right um if i'm not mistaken the artist is tasu kitamura that's right yeah if i pronounce his name correctly and if i'm not i apologize i believe that the techniques they use is kinpun which is gold dust juikin itakane gold leaf jakao gai which are shells which is great green turban and a wabi guy, which is abalone shell from New Zealand. And I'm reading this as you guys can hear. Price is hefty, but I think they deserve every penny of the 365,000 Swiss franc. Rob, did I guess correctly this is your number one pick as well? Yeah, you did, man. Uh, it, was, it was an easy pick in the end, but I paused for thought on the Hublot, I have to admit, because I do like this one as a watch. I think it's fun. It's funky. I'm not against wearing diamonds, although I can't afford to. I have done it in the past when brands have lent me watches. In fact, the first time I wore a watch studded with diamonds was, in fact, a Hublot. It was a Nelson Mandela special edition, and they loaned me... What was it now? I guess it's a classic fusion. It wasn't a big bang, I think. A classic fusion Nelson Mandela limited engraved on the dial with a House of Mandela logo, which was an H, a bumblebee, and an M. And they were supposed to send me the man's version, which would have been 44 millimeters, but they accidentally sent me the woman's, which was, I guess, 41, 42. And three quarters of the bezel were set with diamonds. And I wore it to one of my best friend's weddings, and uh, it went down in a storm. Everybody was like, wow, you're wearing a watch with diamonds on it. That's bold and extravagant. And it was rose gold as well, so it wasn't exactly a shrinking violet. I was surprised to find that it found a lot more favor with my 
circle of friends than I expected. And this one is just, I mean, it's a lot of fun, isn't it? It's a big smiley face in the center of a flower with a rainbow set of diamonds. Yeah, a lot of fun. But the Kari is the winner. The only other one that I like in the selection is the Hermes, but I 100% agree that the diamonds are unnecessary. Love the colorway, the teal and the pink and the purple. Beautiful. But yeah, that could have been 10 times better without the diamonds. But easy win for Kari, a point each, 6-4 in the standings. Moving on to the next category. We're going to struggle to pronounce this because uh, neither Alon nor I are particularly adept at French, but Petit Agui, which we have decided, according to the uh, rulebook of the GPHG, is a category for watches that fall between the price of 3,500 francs and 10,000 francs. So it's uh, small change watches, basically, and uh, that's uh, only relevant to GPHG. followers and fans i'm sure and an interesting category a broad category basically a no holds barred category as long as you don't break the price bracketing alan what do you make of this i think it's my go and i hope you've picked the gelfman in 16 nixie oh i didn't i'm sorry i'm really I... sorry because i thought about it um because it's obviously the coolest i guess um but just in reality i just i don't want it i wouldn't wear it i'm not bothered by it like there is there is a watch in this lineup in fact there's two that i would consider buying but there's one that i really really like just personally oh i get to tell you don't i it's it's my chance i don't have to obfuscate it okay so um, (laughs) we've been playing this game for i don't know how many hours in total now but a while you'd think i'd have got the rules down already all right okay so the top three for me are the three that are on the top line of the website. That's the Breitling Top Time Triumph, the N16 Nixie, and the Spring Drive GMT 9R66 from Grand Seiko. I really like the colorway, the light blue, the baby blue and black of the Breitling Triumph. But the winner for me was the Grand Seiko because I think that is, I mean, this is what I go to Grand Seiko for. It's excellent finishing, a very nice daily wear watch, snowflake style dial, spring drive movement, and a price of 8,800 francs, which I think makes full use of your available price bracket in, in this category. Now, three and a half thousand uh, doesn't give you too much money to play with. The Gelfman, the Gelfman is 6,000 francs, which is a good price for something so ambitious and so unusual. But I, let me put it this way. I'd just be more likely to spend 8,800 on the Grand Seiko than I would to be to spend six on the Gelfman. And while the Breitling is a tempter at um, 5,250 francs, it's just a little bit too pedestrian to grab my attention and my cash. So I'm sorry, mate, but my vote goes to the Grand Seiko. Fair enough. I think. Yeah, I'm not even going to bother mentioning the Louis Arad, the Trilobe, or the Zenith. I think they're all dollars dishwater and uh, don't have a chance in hell. And I'm going to guess that you went for the Gelfman. <laughs> no, wrong. No. <laughs> I went for the Zenith Defy Skyline for two reasons. Oh, what? That is boring as hell. Oh, God. Yeah, but you know what? what? This category, I, I hoped you would pick the Gelfman, but I didn't think you would because this category is not for the exceptional and odd and the cool and the strange and the innovative. This category is who gives you the most bang for its money. Yeah, right, right. I'm with you in that definition. So in that definition, nothing beats the Zenith Defy Skyline. And 
I think that in award ceremonies, annual award ceremonies or competitions, it's important that you add something new to the table. Zenit did that with the Defy Skyline. New caliber. I don't know if you know any other caliber where the second hands, the, the, the sub-dial runs so fast. I don't know if I even need the sub-dial to run that fast. Like when I look at my watch, I want the time, not a headache. You don't need a mechanical watch. You can read the time off your phone. But that's a different discussion. A lot of bang for your money is in this category. With these six picks, number one, Zenit Defy Skyline. And I'm with you. The Grand Psycho is amazing. Me, personally, I don't like the GMT numbering on the bezel. Because that's I'm not looking for that with Grand Psycho. I see Grand Psycho as classical and elegant. And they're trying to make sports watches, but I don't feel their sports watches. Although I utterly love their snow-styled finished dials. Nobody beats them. I do love the Louis Ra. And especially, I love what William is doing. But I wouldn't give them the award in this category. Because I don't think it's meant for that. I think they created this category for those that are interested in entering high-end watchmaking and want a lot of bang for the bucks. That's my feeling. To me, it feels like a bit of a sweep-up category, to be honest, just like a sort of and everything else that's like between these prices, which are pretty arbitrarily selected because there's a massive difference between somebody spending three and a half to five K on a watch than someone spending five to 10. Like it, you can get a lot into those price points. Okay, so next up, we have the challenge category. And this is really squeezing the makers to get the most they possibly can out of their design teams because the requirements here are to create a watch that retails for either 3,500 francs or below. So this is the real entry-level category. This is a good one. This is an interesting category because this is a really competitive bracket. I'm thrilled that we have such diversity here. We've got Corona Tokyo, Louis Arad, Mad Editions, which is, of course, the offshoot of MBNF, Messina Lab, Tag Heuer, and Tudor with the Ranger, which has delighted and dismayed portions of the watch audience in, I would say, roughly equal measure. Alon. It's my turn to pick your choice and hum, 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 toughy in a way. I think there's an obvious winner in terms of ambitious design, and that's the Mad Edition uh, Mad One Red. I know you've got a little bit of a soft spot for Massina, and I do think the Corona Tokyo is an excellent proposition for the money, but I can't turn my head away from the Mad One Red. So is that a goal for me, or did I hit the bar? No, no goal for you. Uh-uh. You didn't even hit the bar. Well, you hit the bar. They deserve a prize, but not in this category. I'm fascinated. I am actually fascinated to find out what your answer is now, because I think like that one is incredibly low-hanging fruit. And But you can't obtain one. I got one. You got one. I don't have one, and I want <laughs> one. How do I get one? Uh, well, name, I'll, I'll name a price after the show. Yeah, okay, fair <laughs> enough. And how do we both get one? So, again, listen. For me, this category, to nominate, this is literally the most bang for your money in watchmaking. That's what they made this category for. The other one was 3.5 to 10K. This is below, right? I love what Hajime Asaoka is doing. I love what he does. I also love his philosophy behind Kurono. I love it. Utterly dislike the font he used. On the calendar type one. Not my cup of tea. 
but I love what he does. Louis Era, great brand, but they are now entering the danger zone, in my humble opinion, which you see with fashion brands and sneaker brands. Too many collabs is the beginning of the end. The only thing that works for them is the collabs, and nobody's buying the regular collection anymore. I love what Sekon is doing. I think it's fun, it's cool, but I envision that this is meant for people entering high or luxury or want to have a quality piece or you want something more timeless. That's why I didn't vote for the Louis Mad? Well, yeah, of course. This is a baby MBNF for how much? It retails like at the... Three and a bit. Three and a bit. That's why they made this category. But would a first-time collector buy this? No. Hell yes, they Must would. See- First time collector? Why no. not? <laughs> no. It's mad. It's literally mad. It's mad. It is literally mad. It's literally mad. But okay. I didn't vote for it. All right. I didn't vote for it. They could have entered the the the, the, the exceptional category almost. It's very exceptional what they did. Yeah, true. The idea, the execution, and price point. Because they wanted to demo- democratize, let's say, all those people that aspire MBNF. Can we call this the moon swatch of MBNF? Yeah, if you like. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so that being said, I didn't pick for that. Masina Lab, love what they do. Um, oh no, you're gonna pick the bloody Ranger, aren't you? Yeah, I did. Oh, you? I did. It's the least exciting busted. one in here. Oh, it's the least exciting watch ever, and that's ever. why they deserve to win this category. Because that's what the category is for, in my opinion. What? Being rubbish? Nice one. <laughs> All right. The challenge category. How rubbish can you be for under three and a half thousand? Oh, I've got an idea. Let's be this rubbish. Oh, yeah. Everyone's going to vote for us. If the Tudor Ranger wins a category at the GPHG, I think I might be done with watchmaking. I'm just going to go back to collect. Watch out what you're saying here, huh? I, yeah, I'm I'm worried because I know it's got at least one vote. <laughs> Jeez. Whatever you were drinking that day, I want Okay, some. okay. So I know what you've picked. And don't tell me you didn't pick the mad. No, of course I did. You can okay. have a point. Thank for you that. for I that. You would, have but, got, you would have got that anyway. Yeah, okay. I knew you'd pick that. And, and, and honestly, if the challenge category didn't have the price bracket, I would have gone for that. But. Okay. Okay. That's, that is one hell of a way of looking at that category. But remember, Rob, I have a little disclaimer. I am an Academy member and I actually voted. So I need to motivate yeah. what I've done and I need to follow the guidelines. Since we're playing kind of a dream team competition, yeah, I feel you understand. But I'm very curious how you analyze the other four. All right. Okay. Well, to go in reverse order, I suppose I'd put the tag Aqua Racer at the bottom because it's just, uh, yeah. I mean, uh, if I could, if I could write a review and I could somehow manage to uh, transcribe the sound, uh, that's probably what I would do for the Aqua Racer. That's about it. I might even just record it and upload it as a soundbite to an article and leave just that in there because I mean, what the hell? I don't get this kind of thing, right? You know, when you want to enter luxury watchmaking, how do you end up coming down with the Aqua Racer Professional Two Hundred Solograph as your choice for three? thousand francs i mean that is just boring it's just i don't know 
unambitious. Forget about it. Okay, next up, pretty close between the Louis Arad and the Messina Lab. I guess I'd put the Messina Lab in uh, the next position because I don't think it's a very attractive combination of colors on the dial. I do like the big eye format. That's pretty neat. Um, if it had a different colorway, I could have been on board with this one a lot more than I am, but I think it's quite gross. Uh, the Louis Arad was second second. I like second second. I love the uh, way that this lines up when the second hand gets to 45. I think that's just clever. And it's a, like you said, actually, you hit the nail on the head. Worrying signs for Louis Arad's. Some of their collabs are good. The Alan Silverstein stuff is really nice, actually, and really more his brand than theirs. But um, they make it, and they do a good job of making it, and I'm okay with that, but the brand is surely not long for uh, luxury watchmaking success. The Corono is definitely number two. It's a nice, easy-to-use date caliber, an interesting green dial a drab green that i imagine would look better in real life than it does on the screen and i think it would probably surprise people in different lights it's the sort of green dial that i think probably comes to life in a kind of twilight setting i've had a few of these muddy jungle-esque camo green dials and on screen they look quite unappealing but on the wrist they have a way of shifting and changing throughout the day that draws you in time and time again and makes them a nice long-term companion so yeah the mad the mad one is just by far and away the most exciting watch you can get here for this price point and then the corona is a really solid choice and beyond that the rest of them can just go away thank you for that rob let's quickly move on oh clocks it's the last category last category on the page but we reserved chronos till the end of the episode okay the category of mechanical clocks i'm very happy that the category is in there wasn't always in there i'm i yeah yes yes i love them i think they should be up there um six amazing pieces for me an easy win um, and I guess we chose the same one. It's my go. I think you've chosen the Utinum Lebru collab with Silberstein called the KB2. Now, I actually had that down as what you had picked, but it isn't what I picked, unfortunately. Oh, that's a pity. So you got a point right now. Oh, did you? Is that what you? Yes, went for? I'm a huge, huge Silberstein fan. Huge. Yeah, I uh, I love his stuff more in theory than I do in practice, if I'm being totally honest, which always makes you feel a little bit guilty. But I have to say the one that I went for was the uh, BCHH Celestial Infinity. Mm. I just, I like the desk top, uh, the desk mounted clock a little mm-hmm. bit more. It's the sort of thing I could see myself using. I've had some interaction with Benjamin Chi in the past, and I found him to be a very ambitious and uh, far reaching kind of guy. I thought that, uh, this was one of the nicest things he's ever done, actually. I think the level of craftsmanship on what looked to me like turbines, I mm-hmm. guess, is very, very good. And I could really see that. I, I could see myself enjoying that. I do love I do love a good night sky as well. So, yeah, um, I'm afraid. I'm afraid that I went there. No, I'm sorry. Not afraid. You know, they're all fantastic. Um, and, and, and again, I've chosen Utinam because I'm a huge Alan Silverstein fan. I can go anything else i would have put this immediately in my office and at home because i love colors but i i think they're all cool in their own way because for desktop piece the bchh is amazing but the mickey 
Eleta is nothing but modern. I mean, it's not modern at all, but I think that's the most fun to put on your desk. Although I don't think you'll do any work at all. There's so much going on and only the philosophical title deserves a price with the passage of time. And if you're a contemporary fan, I think the Matthias Neschke, the NT8 GT table clock is also amazing. It does remind me a bit of what Ulysse Nardin is doing. And Lepe 1839 has been doing a lot and every petrolhead will obviously pick the time fast too. That was cool. That was my second pick. I, I like that one. I like the desktop clocks. The Utenam was definitely my third, just because it's a lovely looking thing. And if there was a desktop version of a Silverstein, I would have picked that. But the floor mounted one, or the freestanding one, was just not my, my cup of tea. No, I understand. And in my defense as a Dutchman, I obviously like the pendulum style hanging weights, thinking of Christian Huygens. Um, do you want to say a final word on this category about Van Cleef and Appel? Because I think they definitely deserve some uh, lyrical waxing from your side. <laughs> well, it's uh, a tour de force, as you'd expect, but it is um, thoroughly disgusting and um, probably <laughs> probably doesn't want to spend too much time in my critical gaze. But I have to say, excellently executed idea again. I just I'm not sure the idea should ever have left the drawing board, but whatever. Um, nobody can do it like they do it, and if you have five to ten millions of Swiss francs as the price is listed on the GPHD website, by all means, go ahead, knock yourself out, buy yourself a fontaine au oiseau or tomaton. Because what else are you going to do with 5 to 10 million francs burning a hole in your pocket? Right, let's ditch that where it belongs and move on to the piece de la resistance, the chronograph category. The fireworks, is, the fireworks, oh the my fireworks. God, I mean, what on earth are we going to do on picking all this? Okay. I mean, it's majestic. Mm. Shall we do something fun? If you like, I like fun. We're going to count down from three to one. At zero, we're going to shout each other's pick. Shout each other's yeah. pick. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. You want to give it a try? Uh, okay. Okay. Simultaneously. Yes. So the audience will have no idea what we're saying. Yeah. And then we'll repeat it. Three, two, two one. Chop <laughs> So this was all over the place, guys. That was pretty I good. It. That was pretty good. I liked it. It worked. <laughs> I'm very curious if you guys picked up on our votes, but if you didn't, I've picked for Rob the Chapek Rattrapant Ice Blue. And I've picked for Alan the Grunefeld 1941 Grunograph Tantalum. Both of us scored a point, <laughs> which makes the end... Hey, hey, how are you so sure I picked the Chapek? Oh. I did pick. You did it? No, I did. Yeah, I just, I just thought you were making assumptions. Did I get yours right? Was it the Grunefeld? Yes. Oh, I, mate. Yeah. So, so amazing six watches. Yes. Yeah, if the Grunefeld wasn't in there, I would have chosen the Chapek because I love Rattrapant movements. I love Chapek. I love Xavier. I love their Antarctic, and it just looks visually stunning. Um, technically also amazing how they put the Rattrapant column wheel in the middle. I love the white, blue, and red team. Yeah. But hey, I'm Dutch. I love Tim and Bart Grunefeld. <laughs> I love their word joke on the title of the watch, which is the 1941 Grunegraf Tantalum. I love Tantalum. 
Uh, I love visually what they've done. It gives me a bit of a Vianney Halter vibe. Yeah, nice. Yeah. I like the remontoire complication. Yeah, yeah. Uh, wow. Okay, <laughs> so I, say? I mean, this is a category that really deserves a show in itself, but we'll try and whiz through it as uh, lightly as we can. So I think we would probably both agree that there are two of these six watches, although all six would be rightful winners in any given year of a GPHG. I think we have to say that the Breitling Navitama Cosmonaut Limited Edition and the Parmigiani Fleurier Tonda PF Chronograph Steel are probably in the fifth and sixth position. I think that's fair to say straight off the bat. They're both wonderful watches. The, the Breitling, ironically, is easily the most wearable and it's easily the most versatile of the bunch. And that is the watch that will probably sell the most pieces, maybe because there are more of them than the others. But I would say that's a great everyday watch. It is up against some very stiff competition. Parmigiani is technically comparable to, well, at least the Breitling. Uh, maybe that's about it. It is a slight level below the others, but it's a very good watch. It's very beautiful. It's very elegant. It's very versatile. It's got a lovely um, date window at around four o'clock that is actually perfectly horizontal rather than at an angle between four and five, which I very much appreciate. But then we move on to the big boys. Okay, now there's three of them, the Chapek, the MBNF, and the Louis Monet, that all have the workings on the dial side. And prior to this year, I think the GPHG would have struggled to find three watches in the watch industry that had the workings of their chronographs exposed on the dial side, as all these models do. And it is a testament to the leaps and bounds in chronograph technology that we've enjoyed over the last few years, led mostly by MBNF's incredible research into rejigging layouts in movements. Now, the Lou 1A Time to Race was actually my second choice. And that one is a watch that I've become very well accustomed to because we did a Fratello special edition of the Memora Spirit upon which this special edition is based itself. And I fell in love with... This movement, although it's not a new movement, it's a movement that has existed in the previous Memora Spirit chronograph from Lumonet, the one that was in a, I think, 46mm case as opposed to the modern 40mm case. But the real remarkable thing about the engineering of this watch is the sapphire, the hugely domed sapphire that goes edge to edge on the case. It looks more like a Ressence than it does a Lumonet when you look at it in profile. It's glorious. It adds a beautiful 3D view to the watch. You can look at the chronograph mechanism almost from the side on. There's this triangular rehort ring that has the tachymeter on the inside angle and it has a seconds track on the outside angle. And then in addition to all that, you have this color scheme. You can choose between green, blue, or red, and then a unique number, which is made uh, in neorolith, which is a very unusual material that polishes up to a very gloss finish uh, at the six o'clock subdial. You can choose your own UE number. So there'll only be one of each number and color combination made ever. So it's something quite special. And then we move on to the MBNF, which is, I mean, it's a stunner. It's a horological masterpiece. It could easily walk away with this title and that would be fair enough, but it's similar to what's gone before. And not quite as exciting, in my opinion, as the Chapek Retropan Ice Blue, which won the vote for me because of my incredible bias towards the Antarctic line, as I frequently extol it as the greatest modern steel sports watch in watchmaking. And finally, the Grunefeld, which I chose for you, not just because you're Dutch, but because I also think in an odd way, on some level, I believe it to be the rightful winner of this category. 
I feel like the Grinnell brothers have been wowing us for years with their mastery of all kinds of movements. And this is a nice combination of things put together in a really handsome package and a very wearable watch. Of all of them, bar the Breitling and the Parmigiani, it is the most demure in its dial side aesthetic and I think will be regarded by collectors the world over as an absolute home run. So good choice. Do you think that your choice will win out in the end or do you think one of the others was actually, will actually take home the prize? All six de- deserve to win. They all deserve to be in this category. Very fierce competition. I think that Indies always should have a skewed preference but there are four of them in them technically parmigiani is an indie as well well bradling as well actually all six are are indie but if we look at the real definition of it and if they're backed by big money parmigiani and bradling are backed mbnf maybe but gurnifold is definitely the smallest maybe louis monet as well i don't know you know that better than i do I think they're all six very cool. I'm super biased. I hope they win. And I've said it earlier on. If Grenfell wasn't in here, I hope Chapik wins. Especially because they're also a bit of an underdog. MBNF is a is still small, definitely in quantity of making. But they've been established now. Um, the Brightling one, I utterly love a cosmonaut. I've said that. I've owned several. I still have them in my current private collection. I hope that this watch was in the iconic category. Yeah, that would have been a much better place for it. It would have walked that one, I think. Exactly. And I, I urge every collector to at least own once a Cosmon. It's so much fun. Because pay attention, guys. If you didn't look well, it only runs around once every 24 hours. Hence the 24 hours on the dial. Very unique, very fun, especially in your rotation of daily switching up your watches from your collection. Louis Monet is a brand that doesn't really spoke to me, but I love what they've done here. And listening to you raving about them really gets me excited to get one. So thank you for that, Rob. I love almost everything MBNF does. Literally, all horological and legacy machines they've made. I think they've went one step too far on the sequential Evo. It's too much going on. Fair enough point, actually. But do we right now, do we believe MBNF to be the favorite for this category? Do we think anything else would be a surprise win? Good question. I think Chapek is going to win. Okay. Simply because Grunefeld is not Dutch, and this is a Swiss competition. Although Van der Klau has won. I believe the Grunefeld brothers have won in the past, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, of course they have. Of course they yeah, have. Yeah, so... so in defense of GPHG, they are not xenophobic, <laughs> uh, the jury. <laughs> yeah, well, you'd hope you'd hope that as a baseline, wouldn't you? I mean, it's not exactly a high bar to set in 2022, is it? No, you're right. Avoid, avoid xenophobia, rule one. Don't be xenophobic. <laughs> yeah. You know what? To answer your question, I have no idea. And you know what? That's the cool aspect of this competition. There is never a clear-cut winner, one that you expect or a favorite. And that's cool. Damn right, it's cool. The whole competition is going to be cool. I am looking forward to seeing how many of our picks come out on top. So we didn't reach an accord in every category, but we did make our picks for all 15 of them now. And we can't wait to see, especially who comes out on top in that hotly contested chronograph battle. Oh, oh, what's this? Who's this? An invader. We've got a studio invader. 
Oh my gosh. I can't believe it. It's it's Balazs. Let's go home and let's go home, The fridge to my freezer. Back together again. At last. Oh my goodness. This is a pleasure. Thanks for joining us. So I actually uh, asked Balaj to step on to the real-time show because Balaj is actually a GPHG Academy member. Hmm. And so he is one of those special few people, like Elon, who can actually vote for which watches will win. So mm-hmm. for the sake of our audience, Balaj, would you be so kind as to explain the process and pull back the curtain a little bit for all Academy members? Well, first of all, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to see your beautiful face again and hear a lovely voice. I think it sounds super cute to say that you're an Academy member, but I, I, I checked the list and there's a ton of us there. I'm not sure how many, but it's a, it's a huge group of people, right? And I just took a quote from the website, the GPHG website, about the Academy members, who those people are. And the quote says, the GPHG Academy members are significant stakeholders in the main sector related to watchmaking. I guess that's not me. In addition to, uh, sorry, in addition to personalities whose activity supports the influence and dynamism of watchmaking, that would be me, I guess. Is that how you see yourself? I don't see myself as a stakeholder in uh, uh, while main sectors related to watchmaking. Yeah, you could say that, but I guess not. Anyways, so I'm either that or that. So these are the people, journalists, watchmakers, tastemakers, influencers in the industry, and, and PR, and so on and so forth. Funnily enough, in this, there's a there's a list. My name, Balash Renzi, is just above a gentleman, I never heard of him, called Laurent Ferrier, <laughs> because the F-E-R in our last name, so Ferrenzi Ferrier. So um, I'm in good company. Yeah, well, you know what? Funnily enough, we've got Laurent coming on the show in a couple of weeks' time. So uh, nice. once again, you beat him to the punch. You're first on the list and first on the real-time show. Congratulations. So- well, you know what? He didn't, he didn't beat me to the punch. He's racing at Le Mans, amongst many other things. He's got quite a few uh, aces up his sleeve. Yeah, yeah, legend. What's it like then? When, when does the process start on a yearly basis? Do you get contacted by the GPHG with a list of pre Yeah, so basically what happens is you get... Um, an, an email. This is, this is a fairly fluid communication, I have to say, from the GPAG. So that's that that makes things you know, easier. Um, so in this year, it said that timepieces that are commercialized after May 2021 and the latest by the end of October 2022 are eligible to take part in in the the, the GPAG for this year, right? And so Academy members. This big group of people can um, can basically send watches um, to to the vote, but also brands can also enter their models. So I can pick a brand and I can pick various models and say that I think they are worthy of uh, the award. Uh, but the brands can also, you know, submit their their watches. And then, of course, um, if I submit a brand and, and not only me, but but multiple members then the gphg gets in touch with the brand and says hey these people thought your watch is um is worthy of the attention um and possibly one of the awards and if the brand accepts it then it's in otherwise other brands they just submit their own watches that's how it goes and then the voting starts and then the voting starts, right? Okay, so you email in your votes. I don't know how many weeks or months after the um, the submission of all the timepieces, 
the, the first round starts. So they give you 15 categories. There are 15 categories. And you have to select six watches in each category, right? And this is done through this website, this GPSG website, where you have to log in with your email and your password, and it's secure. And then there's, um, um, I think the GPSG have no access to it. So it's basically like a closed circuit type of voting system where you have to go into each and every category. And once you enter the category, sometimes you have six, seven, eight timepieces. Sometimes you have 10, 15, 20 timepieces. You have um, a, a grading system. I think it's 10 points, six points, four, three, and two, or something like that. And you basically give points to each timepiece, but you have to give a, a, a point to every timepiece. And once that's done, your category is done, you move on to the next one. And once every category is done and you voted on every timepiece in every category, which is 15 times six uh, or six times 15, uh, then you're done and then you can submit your vote and then your vote goes into the cloud, I don't know, somewhere. And then comes the second round. We are not involved in that, the academy members, well, or some. It's a jury of 30 members drawn from the academy members. So they pick 30, um, yeah, 30 people from the academy members pool, and those 30 people will become the jury. And then they will, you know, they will gather in Geneva. And I've never been a jury member, maybe one day, but they gather in Geneva and then they have this uh, few day, uh, I think it's like a two or three days uh, where they are sitting together. They have all the timepieces and then they pick the one that's going to get the, the GPHG award in every category. That is interesting. I didn't know that that was the process where they actually whittle down the jury as they're whittling down the watches as well. So, yes, uh, fascinating. And I guess you have submitted your votes now. Is everything anonymous when it comes to submissions? GPSG, they cannot see your votes. I'm guessing yes. I'm guessing they just see how many entries and how many points on each and every timepiece is is uh, you know getting. But I, I I guess some administrators or IT people can look up my name, but I don't think the GPHG can. Okay, interesting. So they probably don't know. It probably doesn't even really matter. And I suppose when it comes to the final jury stage of 30 people, that's going to be a pretty open yes. and frank discussion in many cases yes. where they select the winner. All right. So you've been through this process again, mm -hmm. and you have made your selections. And while we don't want to rattle through all of them, mm -hmm. because we don't want to spoil the surprise for who might win for our listeners... Could you give me maybe your top five pieces that you've seen this year? And you can have multiple ones from the same category, if you like. Just the best watches, in your opinion. What impressed you the most? So that's, it's really, really a very eclectic collection, right? From clocks to, to timepieces, complications, jewelry, timepieces, and everything else like that. Diverse chronographs, et cetera, et cetera. I just picked a few that, that you know, popped into my mind when I thought about the, the, the watches that I... Actually, I did my voting a few weeks, uh, a few days ago. So the one, the first one that comes to mind is the Arminstrom Orbit Manufacture Edition. I think you and I both know this, this watch. This is the, um, an Arminstrom with um, a date, a pointer date uh, bezel. Yeah, I like the complication, but I didn't actually like this yeah. watch that much. It didn't feature high on my rankings, so... Yeah, that's I, I I kind of enjoy that. So that's that's one of the pieces that I I saw in the flesh, uh, obviously, and um, this was one of my favorites. Whether I voted for that or, or not, I cannot tell. Uh, I honestly cannot tell because I don't remember. Um, 
Um, but let's move on. The second one was the Doxa Army, the limited edition, the one that they did um, last year um, with Watches of Switzerland. So the, the ceramic case one. So that was another one of my my faves. Um, I quite like the Gerard Perigo Casquet 2.0 uh, as a... Yeah, me too. As a, as a, you know, as a guy who's into vintage stuff and quirky watches, I think this is just truly cool. Again, just by accident, titanium and ceramic case, um, ceramic bracelet and, and uh, quartz movement. So it's a it's an LED dial, but still a super cool watch. I, I, I very much enjoy that. Singer Reimagined Barista, drinking a coffee as we speak. So uh, I guess that's a, that's a pretty fitting watch. And last but not least, the Hermes. And I'm wondering if you can guess which Hermes I picked. Is it the one whose name I can't pronounce? Yes. <laughs> Why do you always do this to me? Why? The Temp Voyager. Exactly. That's the one. It's a, I think it's a it's a truly spectacular timepiece, I have to say. Very nice. It's a great um, complication as well. Really, yes. really, really nice. Beautiful, beautiful piece, steel case, beautiful deep blue dial, kind of off-centered like the Arminström, which I just realized it's both uh, the, the center of the dial, I mean, the dial itself moved to the to the nine o'clock position. Do you have any watches in your collection with that kind of dial layout, or is it just something no. that you're fascinated with from afar? No, you know, I don't. Hmm. Maybe that's why I'm fascinated with them, because um, like the Lange one, you know, that is kind of off-centered dial watches, they're, they're pretty cool. But then... Just uh, just to name a few others, you know, there were a bunch of Parmigiani Fleuriers, beautiful timepieces, a bunch of Breitlings, Zenits, Tagheuer, IWC, Audemars Piguet, Grand Psycho, the the Kodo Constant Force Tourbillon, magnificent watch, Grubel Forcey, Moser, Arnold Denton, HYT, shout out to HYT, Crayon, um, super interesting watch, Sharpaneva, so, so many others uh, to choose from, so, so many others. Sounds like a fun process to go through. I, uh, I'm i quite jealous that you get to do it. Never... Oh, yeah, a little Should bit. Be. I've never Should been on, be. the, uh, on the voting side of things. Um, but it is a lot of fun chopping up about these watches and talking about which ones are likely to win and which ones aren't. And you, like everyone else, will be able to listen to mine and Alan's predictions in the episode that's just passed. And then we'll see. We'll find out next week when the results come in, exactly who won. Balaj, thanks for joining me, mate. It was great to have you on the show, and I'm sure we'll be talking again very soon. My pleasure. Thanks for having me, man. Much love. So thanks for listening to episode three of The Real Time Show. Thanks for that question, Ted. We really appreciate it. Please come back to us with more, and don't forget to ask us your questions. You can find us on Instagram. I'm there at Rob Nuds. That's R-O-B-N-U-D-D-S. Alon is on Instagram at Alon Ben Joseph. That's A-L-O-N. B-E-N-J-O-S-E-P-H. Or you can email us directly at rob at therealtime.show or alon at therealtime.show. We will be back next week. And until then, stay safe and keep on ticking. Ticking.